How are you out there? Amen. What a great time of worship we had. You know, having to worship twice is great, but three times would be better. Let's get our Bibles out. Matthew 12. We've been preaching through Matthew 12. All the messages and gems that the Holy Spirit's tucked in here for us. Savoring every one of them. We're in Matthew 12, starting in verse 38 today. I'm going to read you verses 38 through 42 in just a minute. Jesus again interacting with the religious crowd. Uh, There's conflict, there's face-offs, and Jesus is speaking truth to them, hoping that uh, they would have ears to hear. Father, we thank you this morning for Matthew 12, for the word, for our time in worship together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you prepared our hearts to receive the truth this morning. Father, that our minds would be open and alert and our hearts would be open for you to drive down the seeds of truth into our lives, that it would produce something eternal in us. Father, let the word change us today. Let it change the way we think and feel and act. Father, let the light go on for us today in some area where we see clearly, finally, what you've been trying to show us. And Father, help the the changes that you want to make in our life take place so that we can bear fruit that remains. We ask all of this from Matthew 12 in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Matthew 12, starting in verse 38, reading through verse 42. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. And Jesus stops. So Jesus is facing off with his adversaries. They are religious power brokers. They, uh, they don't like Jesus. He's a threat to their power, to their prestige, to their influence over the people. Much like King Saul these guys cared more about what the people thought than what God thought. And they, they were clashing with Jesus at every chance they could get. This is the third or fourth time in just this chapter that they face off. He quickly uh, dismantles them with his words as he speaks truth to them. Realize the word of God is what dismantles the attack of the enemy against us. And so you and I need to fill ourselves with the word of God, amen? Now, when Jesus faced off in the wilderness of 40 days of fasting with the the devil, he just said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And here's Jesus again speaking truth to them, uh, doing it in a way that's provocative and some might even see as harsh, but hoping that it'll produce some faith in them. Uh, He's, uh, you know... As you look at this over and over again, these face-offs, sometimes it can almost get like a little overwhelming. Like, won't they ever leave him alone? Or won't they just back off? Or will they ever get it? And the truth is that the, the enemy of our souls will constantly be coming at us. 
You say, well, Jesus just told them off good. Won't they just go away? Understand something. You and I win a spiritual conflict. We shouldn't get cocky or we shouldn't get comfortable because the enemy is regrouping to attack us. Did you resist that temptation? Praise God. Learn from it. But don't think that your enemy just quit on you. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee. It doesn't say he'll never come back. He's going to keep coming back. He's going to keep attacking. And much like that, he, he keeps having conflict with these guys. Now, in verse 38, they come to him uh, at a different angle here. They've attacked him. They've attacked his credibility. They've accused him of being, you know, working with the devil. He's been uh, working with Beelzebub. Now, in verse 38, they come at a little different angle. And it says, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him. I want you to see that some, saying, teacher, we want a sign from you. So the fact that it was some of them coming, you know, and they're asking for a sign. You might look at this at face value and go, well, well, that's a reasonable request. You know, Jesus, do something that will, you know, allow these guys to finally get it and believe. And, and you might think, well, you know, it's, it's reasonable here. These guys may be confused. They're not quite sure what's going on. But the, the request is not reasonable because of all that Jesus had already done in their eyes. He had healed massive amounts of people. He had set captives free. He's raising the dead. He's opening blind eyes. Are you getting this here today? He's doing all this stuff, and they're ignoring it, and they go, oh, we'll do something that will impress us. Give us a sign. Are you kidding me? He just healed the man with the withered hand. Then you said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus says, watch this. He heals thousands who are sick on the Sabbath. A tidal wave of healing is poured out from heaven, and they come to him after all that they've seen, after all that he's done, and they say, you know, we want a sign from you. Jesus is not tickled with their request. He's not about to give in to it. And I want to say two things about people who request things from us. Number one, some people will demand that you perform for them so they can exert control over you. Please hear today. Understand the applications of the principles here. Some people say, do something for me. Show me that you're serious. Do so Perform for me so that, you know, in some way I can exert control over you. These guys were not saying, oh, you know, help us believe we're really sincere. They were saying, no, why don't you do something to impress us to see if you can convince us to believe? You see, when you look at it in that context, it's almost offensive that they come and ask for a sign. It's almost offensive that they've ignored everything he's done, but they want him to perform for them. Listen, Jesus didn't perform for men, and you and I shouldn't perform for men spiritually either. Amen. <laughs> well, do something for us. Say a nice prayer, quote a scripture, or, you know, heal somebody who's sick. Yeah, perform for us. Our faith is not about performance. It's not about performing to impress men. It's not about doing things that, you know, will impress people so that they'll become Christians. You and I serve the Lord. We don't perform for men. Be careful of those who demand that you perform for them. Number two, I want to say another thing about some people. Some people will never, ever acknowledge your achievements or your success. As a pastor for almost, uh, you know, three decades, I've seen a lot of people try to please other people. That man-pleasing spirit is something that all of us struggle with. 
whether it's someone who tries to impress a friend or a boss or a coworker or a colleague or maybe even a parent to get their approval. They're willing to do things and even to perform for them. What? So they can get that approval. And sadly, there are some people that will never, ever acknowledge your achievements or your success or give you their approval. It reminds me of a young man who was trying to, you know, impress an older fellow that he, he was friends with, and the two of them went duck hunting, and the young man had a new dog, and they were out duck hunting, and a, a bunch of ducks were, flew in over the decoys, and they shot, and three of the ducks went down, and the young man's dog steps out of the boat, and he walks on the water. And he walks, this is not true, take it easy out there. And he walks on the water and retrieves the three ducks. He walks back to the boat and gets in the boat and he's not even wet. And the young man looks at the older man. He said, what do you think about my dog? And the old guy just went, huh, your dog can't swim. Man, second service, you need to get more sleep. Some people are just never going to be impressed with you. They're never going to celebrate you. We'll say, oh, I, I need their approval. I need that pattern. Listen, you don't need it. All you need is the affirmation of God on your life. All you need is the approval of God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they are if they have your same last name. Mom, I'm preaching this morning, amen? And some of us got to get this. We got that man-pleasing spirit. Some people are just never going to give you what you want. So don't make it something that you work for. Get your approval from the Lord. Verse 39 continues, and we see that Jesus is not flattered at all by their request. Oh, you know, they invited me to speak for them, or they want to just, you know, come, come in close, guys. Watch the miracle so that you'll believe. He, he's, not, he's not impressed at all. You know, it's like, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And this is Jesus' response here. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign, listen to that, no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus is, you know, he's flat out denying their request for a sign. He's flat out denying their request for him to perform for them so that they might believe. He's not impressed. He calls them an evil and adulterous generation, and he says, no sign. He sounds like that soup guy from Seinfeld, no soup for you. Jesus is like, no sign. And, and even some of us are thinking, come on, Jesus, just do something. Do something. Some of us would do it. We would try. Yeah, let's, let's try and, you know, so that they'll believe. But Jesus saw through their request. And he says some powerful things here. You know, why does Jesus describe the generation as evil and adulterous? Because, you know, these guys are sign seekers. And he says, well, sign seekers, you know, this generation is evil and adulterous. It says, he says that because... That generation, as with many generations, and in many ways our own generation, was entrenched in their sin and so spiritually dull that they couldn't even recognize who he was. If they would have recognized who he was, no performance would have been necessary. But yet they don't recognize him. Why? Because they're spiritually dull. And why are they spiritually dull? Because they've given themselves over to sin and wickedness, and he calls them evil. I want to say something to you today. Sin will make us spiritually dull. The more we give ourselves over to sin, the less of a spiritual appetite we have and the less of a spiritual aptitude we have. We give ourselves over to sin, and what does it do? It makes our flesh stronger. 
And when our flesh is strong, it suppresses our spirit. If you and I will starve the flesh and feed the spirit, the spirit will be more powerful than the flesh. It's which one you're going to feed. Either you're going to feed your flesh or feed your spirit. How many would agree that it's hard sometimes just getting up out of bed and going into the world not to feed your flesh? It's everywhere. It's on the billboards. It's on the radio. It's on the TV. It's in the office. It's in the workplace. It's everywhere. Yet this this generation he's speaking to had given themselves over to the flesh and to sin that they were so spiritually dull that the leaders who knew the Old Testament prophets inside and out and they couldn't recognize who was standing right in front of him. This is the guy Isaiah talked about. This is the guy guy that all the prophets prophesied of, hundreds of messianic prophecies, and they knew them, and they could quote them, and they can tell you chapter and verse, but as he stood in front of them, they didn't recognize him. They were dulled by sin, and Jesus, his conclusion was, you want me to perform for you, but you're spiritually dull, and you don't recognize me because you're part of a generation that's evil. Now, as if that wasn't enough, to really kind of smack them down and kind of deflate them. He doesn't stop at, you know, you're an evil generation. He says you're evil and adulterous. Uh, What does that mean? What is he talking about when he calls the generation adulterous in a spiritual sense? We all know what adultery is in the natural. Adultery is stepping outside of your marital covenant and, and breaking that covenant in a way that violates it, and you commit adultery by, you know, stepping out of your marriage and sexually uniting yourself with someone who you're not married to. Did everybody get that? Because you're wilting on me out there. So we, we get what adultery is. We really didn't even need that explanation. But spiritual adultery is something a little bit different. Jesus describes them as an adulterous generation. What does that mean? Spiritual adultery is something that God's people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament in the church have always struggled with. It's always been an issue. It's chasing after other gods, other kingdoms, and other things to the point that our spiritual allegiance is so badly compromised that God sees us as prostituting ourselves to another. God has looked at his people in the Old Testament and go, you know, you played the harlot. You, you're cheating on me. You're worshiping idols. You're bowing down to statues. You're, you're worshiping devils. And you're supposed to be my children. You're supposed to be married to me. You look at the book of Hosea, and it gives us a picture of this, how the church plays the harlot where, you know, Hosea's wife would run out and go to others and, and abandon him, and that connection, that covenant was broken. So God looks at a generation that is all about chasing other gods and other kingdoms and other things and says, you've been unfaithful to me. Wow. Hey, guys. Your generation is evil. You've given yourself over to sin, and you're spiritually dull, and you've been unfaithful to me. You guys were supposed to be those who lead people into the kingdom of God, yet your eyes are so blind that you make it difficult for people to come to me. Wow. It's a sober moment here. These are powerful words and powerful indictments that Jesus brings to these guys Uh, You know, spiritual adultery is something that we have to be aware of because it can creep into our lives where something besides Jesus becomes our number one. 
where we become more excited about doing certain things or being with certain people or participating in certain activities than we do in serving God in the kingdom of God. Now, praise God you're here on Sunday morning, so that's a good start. It shows that God is a priority in your life, amen? Cheer up. Some of you look like you're about to die out there this morning. Amen. Oh, it's serious. Yeah, it's serious, but when God comes and he brings an indictment like this, the answer and the cure for it is repentance. And here, you know, here these guys are, they're dull, they're not hearing it, now they're just getting offended. He's saying, you've been unfaithful to me. Uh, How do you think Jesus would describe our generation? How do you think Jesus would describe our culture? It's easy to read this and go, oh, yeah, those guys were bad, man. We're, we're not like that, right, Pastor Rick? We're... How do you think Jesus would describe our churches? Some of our churches that have quit preaching the word and started to, you know, teach things that the word condemns and say it's okay now. Some of our churches that don't believe in the miracles, don't believe in the move of the Holy Spirit, don't believe that, you know, uh, the, the Bible, there's churches that don't believe the Bible's true. Oh, they're just stories. Wow. They're not just stories. They're the living, breathing word of God. They're the revelation of Jesus Christ. The scripture is the only source of truth. It's not a fairy tale. How do you think Jesus would describe our generation? Whatever the answer is to that, we've got to answer it as individuals. And where there is repentance necessary, we should repent. These guys were hearing what Jesus was saying, but their hearts were hard and they weren't willing to repent. Now, in verse 39, Jesus gives them a flat-out denial for a sign. Uh, You know, they're like, give us a sign so we'll believe, so we can be convinced, so that we'll believe who you, you know, you claim to be. And Jesus flat out says, no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So the sign you guys want, you're not going to get. And the sign that I'm going to give you, you're not going to understand it. And they didn't understand it. We're going to talk about what he says here. But, you know, I'm not going to perform for you. I'm not going to bend over backwards and give you the sign that you want. And you say, well, well, why is Jesus being like that? Uh, Because he understood that their request for a sign was disingenuous. And it was disingenuous in this way, that no matter what Jesus did, they would dismiss it. No matter what he did, they would find fault with it. Or no matter what he did, they would just... Plain, refuse to believe it. He heals somebody, well, you can't heal him on the Sabbath. He, he, he heals many, well, he's full of the devil. He's working with the devil. They just would not re- receive Jesus. He, they're the type of guys that were saying, hey, your dog can't swim. You getting this? And Jesus is not going to perform for them, so no sign for you guys. But there is going to be a sign, and that sign is going to be the sign of the prophet Jonah. Let's talk about what that means right there. You might think, what in the world does that mean? Well, thank, thank God the word explains it to us in the next verse, in verse 40. For Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Let's unpack this here a little bit. Here's what Jesus is saying. Let's talk about Jonah. Jonah was this prophet who God instructed to go to the city of Nineveh and give the Ninevites a prophetic warning that judgment would come upon them if they didn't repent. Now, if you know the story of Jonah, and and probably you do, but I'm going to recap it quickly for context's sake, understand something. Jonah was sent to, to bring the people a message of impending judgment so that they would repent. 
Do you see the heart of God? The Ninevites were the wickedest of the wicked. They were a wicked people, murderous, sexually immoral, adulterous. I mean, if you study the culture, they were violent. What they did to the peoples that they conquered, how they persecuted the Israelites. I mean, these guys were a bad bunch. And you know why Jonah didn't want to go and preach to them? Because he really wanted to see God judge them. Do you know this? He, some, I got the front row is good, but the rest of them are looking at me. You know, he's like, man, if I go over there and preach and I bring this message, you know what? I know you, God. You're gonna, it's going to be powerful. They're going to repent, and then you're not going to judge them. And they've been miserable to us, and they've done all kinds of atrocities, and I want them to be judged. So God says, go to Nineveh, and Jonah says, I don't think so, and he goes the opposite way. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. I got a little something for you, buddy. You don't want to listen to me? I'm going to organize for you the first all-air-conditioned underwater submarine ride. And a great fish swallows him up. You say, what was it? I don't know what kind of fish it was, but it was big enough to swallow him up. So he swallowed up, and what? He's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Finally, this guy must have been stubborn. I would have been in there 15 minutes. I'll repent. I'll go. Three days. You could see him in there. Finally, he spit up on the beach. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches. They repent, and the judgment is averted, just as he feared. (laughs) Jonah's an interesting study. But this is, this is what Jesus is talking about. And then you say, well, what is the sign of Jonah? Well, it wasn't that Jesus was going to rebel against the Father's plan. And it's like, go to the cross. No, I'm not going to the cross. No, obviously, Jesus willingly embraced the cross. And he, he rose on the third day. But for those three days, he was in the belly of the earth, just like in the belly of the fish. And that was the sign that Jesus was saying, I, I'm gonna, they're going to kill me. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. Now, again, the, the, the religious crowd had no idea what he was talking about. They didn't get it then, and then when it happened, they didn't get it. So the sign wasn't for them. It wasn't a sign that they were going to believe, but it was the sign that he was going to give. Jesus did embrace the cross. He did die on that cross. They did put him in a borrowed tomb, and he did raise again on the third day, amen? And because he did, we, we can be free from our sin. Thank you. I never get tired of getting excited about that, amen? When I see people that I love caught in sin, I know there's a remedy for it. When I see people who are lost and don't believe in God, I know there's a remedy for it. When I see people in the bondage of addiction and all kinds of chains of affliction, I know there's a remedy for it in Jesus Christ because he rose again on the third day. These guys didn't like that sign. They didn't believe in that sign. They rejected it when it happened, but that was the sign that God was going to give them. Now, on the other side of the cross, we get it. It makes sense to us. Realize they didn't get it then, and they still don't. Verses 41 and 42, Jesus finishes up his thought here by pronouncing a judgment against these proud, blind leaders. And he cites two groups of people that will be better off than them on the day of judgment. Now, these guys thought they were the best of the best and that when they stood before God in heaven, God was going to practically trip over himself, rewarding them for how spiritually disciplined they were. That's what they thought. And Jesus is saying, oh, there's a couple groups of people that are going to be ahead of you uh, in line on the judgment. They're going to be better off than you. And the two groups were the men of Nineveh and the queen of the south. Now, let's read verses 41 and 42. 
I hope you're following along with me in your Bible today. It says here in verse 41, the men of Nineveh. Now, remember, we just said these guys were a wicked, evil, godless generation. These guys were the worst of the worst. He says the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Wow. What an indictment. He's saying, you know, the men of Nineveh, you know that group that you would look down on, that you would see as the worst of sinners, that you would think the minute they died, they would just be, you know, right into hell for eternity. He he said, you know what? They're actually better off than you. They're actually more spiritual than you. Are you getting this? He says, why? Because they were willing to acknowledge their sin and choose repentance. Understand this, it's not how much we sin. It's not how, you know, well, we did little sins or big sins or, you know, we're either sinners and we're, we're lost or we're forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Jesus and we're saved. But he's saying these big sinners that you guys look down on, they're ahead of you. Why? Because when they heard the message uh, for repentance, they humbled themselves up and they repented. And, you, you know, the, Jonah preached to them, and, and their hearts were soft enough to say, oh, you're right, God, you know, we, we, we repent. You guys have the Messiah standing right in front of you. Look what he says, one greater than Jonah is here, right in front of your eyes, and you won't receive my message, and you won't repent. Wow. So those Ninevites you look down on, they're ahead of you on the day of judgment. Uh, Jesus said more things like that to the religious crowd as he sparred with them all throughout the scriptures here in the New Testament. In Matthew 21, 31, 31, he says something to them where it wasn't bad enough that the Ninevites were ahead of him. Listen to this. Jesus says, you know, he, he teaches them a parable about the two sons. One was obedient, one was disobedient. He says in verse 31 of Matthew 21, which one of the two did the father's will? They said, the first, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, listen to this, that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even have second thoughts afterward so as to believe him. Wow. Hey, cream of the crop. Hey, the best of the best. Hey, smart guys. Super spiritual guys. The tax collectors and the prostitutes and the Ninevites are beating you. They're ahead of you. You're in worse spiritual shape than them. Wow. Realize the magnitude of what Jesus is saying here. It's powerful. And I don't see any rebuttal from these guys because you know they had nothing to say. Could you imagine getting dressed down by Jesus and still having no heart to find repentance? Wow. I would have came unglued instantaneously, and probably so would have you, and just fallen at Jesus' feet and, 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 and begged for mercy. A religious spirit, a proud heart is such a stunning thing. It scoffs at the grace of God as as. The Pharaoh of Egypt scoffed at the grace of God. Plague after plague, his heart was hardened. Verse 42, Jesus finishes up here with a second illustration of those who were better off on the day of judgment. The men of Nineveh, we got tax collectors and prostitutes ahead. But verse 42, he says this, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. 
For she came from the ends of the earth to hear wisdom from Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So you look at that, and Jesus says, you know, the men of Nineveh, and then he talks about the queen of the south. Who's the queen of the south? Well, it's not Dolly Parton or some, you know, Reba McIntyre. It's got to be Shania Twain. No, it's not. It's not anybody you saw in the grand old opry. The queen of the south is who most... Bible teachers and historians of the day called the Queen of Sheba. She was uh, someone who was around in biblical times, and she made a visit to Solomon. And, and uh, you know, she, she was this person who was a, a leader and royalty. Uh, she came from modern-day Egypt and Ethiopia in that region, and she's mentioned eight times in the Scriptures. This woman, the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of the South, she traveled a very, very long way with a huge entourage. She left the comforts of her kingdom and her palace, and she took this huge entourage with gifts of gold and all kinds of precious things to give to Solomon as a gift just so she could hear the wisdom of Solomon. And think about that. Here she is. She's royalty. She's wealthy. She has all the comforts of life. You know, you didn't travel by jet and first class in those days. They probably put her on a cart and dragged her around with camels. That's not, you know, that's not a comfortable trip. And she inconveniences herself, and she travels. Why? Because she wants to hear truth. And Jesus is saying, you know, this generation and, and our generation and all the ones in between, how far will you go? How much will you inconvenience yourself to find truth? You know, we have a church on every corner. We have the gospel on radio and TV. There's, there's preachers everywhere. There's churches area. And some people just will never come, never lift a finger. There's people all around Full Gospel Center that just, they sleep in on Sunday morning. Sunday is their fun day. But they won't come to church. And here's this woman that is willing to inconvenience herself just to find truth. Jesus is saying, you guys who have shut yourself off to the truth, who have created your own little kingdom for yourself where you get to rule and enjoy the pleasures of it, who won't inconvenience yourself or humble yourself to, to receive the truth, but you just harden your hearts, this woman is going to rise up in judgment against you. She's ahead of you in the day of judgment. The men of Nineveh, the queen of the south, tax collectors and prostitutes ahead of the religious crowd because they refuse to humble themselves and find repentance. I thank God today that he has granted each of us the gift of repentance. Amen. You say, well, listen, hang on. Amen. Amen. I don't want to stop you. But, you know, uh, you say, well, I, you know, I was humble and I repented. Uh, no. Well, I, you know, I just got it. I was, you know, very theologically sound and ethical and moral, and I just, yeah, I, I came to... No, repentance is a gift. You and I can't even repent, can't even see our own sin, can't even see our need for a Savior without the Holy Spirit opening our eyes. Salvation is of the Lord. It's, it's not so anything we did. It wasn't by our works. These guys had hardened their hearts, and they were resisting the Holy Spirit, and so is our generation right now. But thank God that his grace is persistent and his mercy is persistent. Contend for those who you love, who you want to see saved and brought into the kingdom. Contend for your family and for your friends and your coworkers and your classmates and pray for them earnestly and don't quit until the Holy Spirit gets them. 
Amen. I wish somebody had a passion for souls here this morning. Amen. Or are we going to be like the Pharisees and we won't even inconvenience ourselves? Well, we got our little act together here. They're just lost. God help us. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I thank you this morning for this passage. And Lord, once again, we see Jesus speaking truth. Father, I pray in this generation, our, our eyes and our ears would be open to receive truth. Father, I thank you uh, that you've granted us the gift of repentance and you've allowed us to find grace and mercy and the free gift of salvation and eternal life. Thank you so much for that, Father. It's with thankful hearts today that we want to serve the purposes of the kingdom of God. Father, religion is a, is a chain and a snare. It hardens the heart. Father, let us always focus on the relationship that we should be building every day with Jesus Christ. Let us enjoy the, the fruitfulness of it and the, the joy of it, of just getting to know you and being part of the family of God. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Mike.